Oh, hey, I'm glad you're here. Did you ever notice when you were a kid that different houses had different rules? Like you'd go over to Stacy's house and it was a no-shoes indoors house and you'd forget to wear matching socks. Or Bruce's dad smelled weird and would let you jump off the top of the stairs onto all the pillows in the house. Or Betty's mom would let you have cookies for dinner while she cried in the backyard. Often. Well, mom and pop video stores were very much the same way. In one shop, you'd bring the actual box up to the cashier in order to rent. And if you didn't see the movie on the shelf, then it was checked out. No, just one of the guys for you. Unless you know the pro move. You nicely, and that is key, nicely ask if they have a copy in the returns. A copy nobody knows is there because it hasn't been checked in. You ask nice because you can't see in the returns box, and if you're rude, why would they help you get your hands on the 1985 gender-swapping teen comedy? They won't. It's just a casual fake look, and then they just turn to you and say, well, it's all Benji the Hunted down here, and you're out of luck. In other shops, you'd find the actual movie in a clear plastic box behind the VHS box. This always seemed insane and kind of cruel, because sometimes you'd see that clear plastic box and think, yes, I am watching Cruel tonight, only to get there and some kid was going to get to see Davy Crockett and the River Pirates, but then Uncle Bruce saw that Kroll was in and ditched the box behind it. Smelly old Bruce. Another option was a small circular hanging tag with a number on it. And that tag would normally reference their storage system, a number like 4278. So no tag, no movie. And yes, Bruce would ruin that system for everyone as well. A simple bait and switch. My dad's system in his video store was poker chips. He'd write the number on the poker chips and Velcro it on the shelf below the VHS box. But all these systems share the same problem. They're not the same system. So you'd have people come up carrying up the box in my dad's store saying, here's the box, I want to rent the movie, and you're like, well, that doesn't mean it's in, and then you'd have to return the box to the shelf because the customer would just leave it there, or they'd pull a Bruce. And I can't tell you how many times I'd take the chip, find the movie in our storage system, and then say, okay, Darby O'Gill and the little people, only to see a look of disgust as the person would say, Porkies, I wanted Porkies. Then you have to go around the counter and go on the Porky's crusade because the internet doesn't exist and this guy, gosh darn it, he's going to see some boobs, but he's not going to buy porn. He's civilized. Basically, what I'm getting at is that people are always up to something. No matter it being like raising an entire flock of crocodiles in hopes they eat your Aunt Judy. Sorry, Judy. Or just not putting things back where they belong. What we need is a way to get the truth. Which brings us to today's episode. The film is Deceiver, the guest a polygraph technician, and this is VHS. Welcome to VHS. I'm your host, Dirk Marshall, and I'm joined in the studio by Aaron Parker, a polygraph examiner. Hey, buddy. Thank you for being here. No problem. Uh, now, you have no public electronic footprint, so anyone listening that has questions or follow-up comments or inquiries for Aaron Parker can email them to the website, vh-us website. Uh, website is how I end it. Uh, vh-us.com is the website, and I will reach out to you for any kind of uh, follow-up. Okay. Uh, the reason that I'm joined by Aaron today in the studio is because we were brought together by the film Deceiver from 1997. 
<laughs> was this a first time watch for you? Oh, it was indeed. Okay, great. And uh, have you seen many portrayals of polygraph examiners in cinema? No. As a matter of fact, I think the only one that gets referenced is the Meet the Fockers one. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think that's kind of one of the main ones I think I've ever seen. I haven't seen it, but I have seen clips of... Yeah, that's about how it's been. I believe it's Ben Stiller is hooked up to the machine. Yes. And and Bobby De Niro, as I call him, Mm -hmm. is asking him questions. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know why. I think maybe about casseroles and stuff. I'm not 100%. Like, do you like my wife's cooking? I'm in then. If it's Mm -hmm. mostly casserole polygraph. it's casserole related. (laughs) (laughs) How often as a polygraph examiner do you reference casseroles? Um, I would say uh, not at all. Not at all. Okay. Okay. I wish more though, actually. I would appreciate that. The premise of the podcast isn't a truth or or factual or not, so or good or bad in film. So it's really... Neither here nor there, but I would like to hear more casserole references in Polygraph. Me too. If you could push that agenda for when you have seminars and things, <laughs> I'd appreciate that. So um, could we get some more casserole input, yeah. please? Um, I mean, it's a hot dish in some places. How do we feel on uh, mushroom soup combinations? Anybody? <laughs> Anyone? It, you just put it all in there and you bake it. Anybody? Anyone? Okay. <laughs> Uh, At the time of this recording, um, Deceiver is available only on DVD, which is wild, considering the cast alone. Uh, The synopsis, I would say right now, if it was posted on IMDb, but it's not, which is equally (laughs) crazy. So I instead will read from the back of my DVD case Mm -hmm. of 1997's Deceiver. James Wayland is not a typical murder suspect. He's fabulously wealthy, a Princeton graduate, and has a genius-level IQ. But Detectives Braxton and Kennesaw sense that there's more than meets the eye when they interrogate him for the brutal killing of a beautiful girl. Of a beautiful call girl, sorry. Mm -hmm. As their search for the truth takes a suddenly dangerous turn, and boy is it. Braxton and Kennesaw realize that Wayland is a master manipulator, cleverly using their darkest secrets against them in a lethal winner-take-all game that ignites a powder keg of deadly motives and shocking revelations. Such a powder keg. Wow, that is a lot longer than probably necessary. Yeah. And it did not mention, I don't think, that the said call girl was, in fact, a young Renee Zellweger. Right. Mm -hmm. It's very true. Mm -hmm. And she is Wildly young. She was. How, I wonder how old she was in that. Do you know? Um, 38. <laughs> She's not. A terrible guess. I'm, 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 bad with, <laughs> I'm bad with names, faces, and ages. Um, so to put this film in context, uh, let's talk a little bit about the players involved. Uh, mm-hmm. The directors is Jonas and Joshua Pate. They also wrote this. Mm. Um Okay. Joshua only directed this film and then TV episodes for like Friday Night Lights. Uh, Jonas directed The Grave in 96, in which Craig Schaefer and Gabrielle Anwar escape prison to search for a deadly millionaire's treasure. So these guys don't like rich people. No. They're just killing them and they're evil. Uh, They don't like greed. These guys, not not fans. Mm -mm. I also reached out for a comment and did not did not receive um what? I don't know. I wanted Did they to, think you were wealthy? I probably <laughs> I did sign a uh, big daddy McDollar sign. So 
that's just my regular sign off. When you email. signed your, when you signed Marshall, you put dollar signs through the S's. Yes, yes. Uh, that was the giveaway, <laughs> man. Know. You should not have done that. I, uh, my bad. Um, but Jonas went on then to direct episodes for TV again, uh, Aquarius, Friday Night Lights, and one for Battlestar Galactica, what? which you were a fan of. I love Battlestar yeah. Galactica. So I don't know which episode it was or if it bears any resemblance to this film. I think it's the one where they're murdering all the rich people. <laughs> yes. and there's that was one, a really good episode. There's one polygraph examiner. <laughs> no mention of casserole. Um, and this is where things kind of change for Deceiver because the cinematographer is Bill Butler. And he's a beast. So here are some of the credits for Bill. There's 84, so I'm just naming a few. I'm not doing all 84. But he did Jaws in 1975, Demon Seed in 77, Damien Omen 2 in 78, Grease in 1978. Wow. The cinematographer for Deceiver did Grease and Jaws. Um, Rocky 2 in 1979, Stripes in 81, Rocky 3 in 84, Rocky 4 in 85, Rocky 5 in 86. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Biloxi (laughs) Blues in 88. Child's Play in 88. Whoa. Hot Shots in 91. And I like to end on this one. Beethoven 2nd, 1993. But he continued to work. Well, no, you can answer this question for me, Derek. Oh, I have two more. Anaconda (laughs) in 97. Oh, no. And Deceiver in 97. As in with um, Ice Cube? Yeah. No. Cinematographer. Now tell me what does it, this is my question is what all does a cine, cinematographer do? Uh, the short is it is like um, he's responsible for it looking good. Mm-hmm. So you know, depending on the DP or cinematographer, it's like ensuring the shots look nice. Okay. So Deceiver, one of I think the better things about this film, or what something that really stands out, is that there's the film noir aspect of it is like. Totally dialed in. Right. Absolutely. And, and that would be Mr. Butler. The stepping out of the shadows ratio was oh, huge yeah. in this film. Yeah. The mm-hmm. way that Chris Penn's half of his face is lit all the time, just half. I don't know yeah. why that is, but they're yep. just like, forget the left half. We don't necessarily need that <laughs> all the time. He's a right half kind of guy. <laughs> um, not true. He's got a beautiful face. Uh, the editor is Dan Leben- Lebenthal. He did Dead Presidents in 95, Deceiver in 97, Very Bad Things in 98, Eminem's Real Slim Shady video in 2000. What? Yeah. Uh, From Hell in 2001. Elf in 2003. Oh, that's a family favorite Same in my house. Same editor. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Zathura Space Adventure uh-huh. 2005. The Breakup in 2006. Iron Man 2008. Iron Man 2 2010. Thor Dark World 2013. Ant-Man in 2015. Spider-Man Homecoming in 2017. And the new Spider-Man movie, Far From Home in 2019. Wow. Yeah, still doing it. Actors. This is why I even (laughs) was drawn to this movie. They had a lot of people in this movie. It's so crazy. Like the cover of the the DVD, which you should totally buy, has Mm -hmm. so many people's heads on it and a questionable body at the bottom of it that we're not quite sure what's happening. We had an extensive conversation before this about what exactly is the body part on the front of this We know video. there's a knee. Yes, and, then and a foot. something below it that I'm not quite not sure. sure. Mm-hmm. So definitely check that out and send your questions and inquiries to vh-us.website. <laughs> I'm just kidding, <laughs> dot com. Uh, actor, we're going to start off with Tim Roth. He's done too much good work. Uh, so I'm just going to name a few things. These are favorites. The first film I ever saw him in was The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover. That's 1989. He did Vincent and Theo in 1990, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead in 90, Reservoir Dogs in 92, where lots of people saw him first, Pulp Fiction in 94, Four Rooms in 95, 
Gridlocked in 97 with Tupac, uh, Hoodlum in 97, Deceiver in 97, and Planet of the Apes in 2001. Wow. Yeah. So he acted with all the people in this movie and Tupac in the same year. <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah. That's when you know you're making it. Then we got Chris Penn. He was in All mm-hmm. the Right Moves in 83, Rumblefish in 83, Footloose in 84, Pale Rider in 85, At Close Range in 86, Reservoir Dogs in 92. Wait, he was in Reservoir Dogs? Yeah. Oh, I gotta watch that. Beethoven movie. second in '93. That's our second oh. reference of Beethoven second. That's incredible. I gotta watch that one. Two Wong Fu. Thanks for everything. Julie Newmar, 1995. Hmm. Mulholland Falls, '96, and Rush Hour in '98. He did other things, of course, but yeah. Michael Rooker, who is just glistening in this movie. Yeah, he is sweating the entire film. So much. Really, really hot. Wow. Uh, yeah. He Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, a lot of people know him from that in 86, Light of Day in 87, Above the Law in 88, Mississippi Burning in 88, mm-hmm. Days of Thunder in 1990, JFK in 91, Cliffhanger in 93, Tombstone in 93, Mallrats in 95, Deceiver in 97, mm-hmm. Bone Collector in 99, uh, Slither in 2006, a lot of TV, and that's all before getting huge roles on Walking Dead and being in the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes. That's when I recognized him was the Guardian, the Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't yeah. remember his name, but he was like blue or something. Yondu. Yondu. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there it is. Then we got Renee Zellweger. Mm. Out of nowhere. You're just like, wait, who is? Oh, oh, that's Renee Zellweger. There she is. And what's crazy is what happened in her career before this. Really? So Dazed and Confused, 1993, she's uncredited. Oh, yeah. Reality Bites in 94. Mm-hmm. Eight Seconds in 94. Love in a 45 in 94. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The New Generation in 94 with Matthew McConaughey. I didn't know he was in a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, both of I can them, never watch those. They're too scary. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> both those actors tended to uh, pick up steam at that time. And mm-hmm. people have a theory that the movie was buried by the publicists or the people because they were like, don't put this out because they're getting traction in Hollywood. The, oh. Don't show that they're slumming it in this TCM movie. But then Empire Records in 95, Jerry Maguire in 96, mm-hmm. then Deceiver in 97. Wow, she did Jerry Maguire before the this. The year before, and then Nurse Betty 2000, Bridget Jones Diary 2001. Mm-hmm. I, I would have put it in any other order. I know. I would have put wow. Deceiver before Days and Confused. confused. Yeah, yeah, me for too. Sure. Um, then we have Roseanne Arquette, which mm-hmm. is always wonderful. You got to say Desperately Seeking Susan in yes. 85. I used to love that movie. So good. Silverado in 85, After Hours in 85, Pulp Fiction in 94, mm-hmm. Crash in 96, Deceiver in 97, Buffalo 66 in 98, and oh, tons of television. Show. Wow. Yeah. Yep. I do like her. Oh, she's great. Yeah. She's really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like all the Arquettes. Um, Ellen Burstyn. Is in this movie. <laughs> that was so weird. Yeah, she plays Mook. Yeah. So a she, character named Mook. Yeah, she appears in this film for sure. Indeed. Some of Ellen's credits, and there's so many. So no disrespect to her. She's one of my favorite actors. Uh, the Exorcist in '73. Alice doesn't live here anymore in '74. Tons of TV and movies. TV movies. Uh, Deceiver in '97. Requiem for a Dream in 2000 which I have written down, is the year I discovered that the Academy Awards are a sham. (laughs) Watch Aaron Brockovich and Requiem for a Dream and tell me which 
actor is giving a credible performance. Mm -hmm. It's Ellen every time. And Julia Roberts won that year, huh? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it breaks my heart because Ellen's like role in that, in Requiem for a Dream, just made me feel so sad for her. And she goes through all of these like moments with the diet pill addiction and I don't know. She I just, just kills it. It's amazing. And and it's, you know, I don't care about competing arts and awards and stuff like that. Yeah. But sometimes <laughs> I think you got to be like, it should go to this person. Yeah. Julia, you're going to keep making she got shafted. Ocean's 8 movies or whatever they are. <laughs> and uh, and as a result is probably why I only refer to Julia Roberts as Aaron Brockovich. Mm, from now on. Yeah, it drives my wife crazy. Because <clears throat> I'm like, is that Aaron Brockovich in that movie? And she's like, you know that that's not the actress's name. Um Michael Parks is also in this film. He was in Tusk from Dusk Till Which Dawn, Planet Terror, Death Proof, Kill Bill, and a ton of other stuff. He's the uh, the therapist that they go and talk oh, to who's, yeah. who first starts talking about he like his- He plays a very intense and creepy therapist. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And he was in Kill Bill? Yeah. Huh. He was the so therapist. Tarantino thread through all of this. He was yes. the therapist in Kill Bill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and in Tusk and from Dusk Till Dawn. Um yeah. No, he's, yeah, he did a ton of work in like the 70s and maybe a little earlier. So it makes mm-hmm. sense that Tarantino would be like, that's my guy. Yeah. That's my Tarantino prestige. <clears throat> that, that was excellent, by the this way. This is my guy. I am Quentin Tarantino. Oh, um, it's like he's in the room. I know. He was not here. I'm not saying that he's here. Um, oh, one last credit I want to say for for Ellen Burstyn is that she just was in a role playing Nana on Wiener Dog, which I don't know what it means, but I just wanted to say <laughs> I was just going to say, what is that? Because it sounds like a way a kid on an elementary school playground would they'd be like, oh, yeah, well, I say Nana on Wiener Dog. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, wow, okay. Hot take there, Timmy. Um, all right, well, that's all the time we have, so thank you for okay. coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is great. <laughs> no, the credits were, I mean, it's just insane, the cast for this thing. And these guys hadn't done a movie before, and they have an amazing, you know, cinematographer, mm-hmm. super talented editor, and this movie is crazy. One would think, wow, with this list, you can't how go could wrong. you go wrong? You can't. <laughs> uh, also of note is that the name of the character played by Renee Zellweger is Elizabeth Loftus. Mm-hmm. Did you look this up? No. It's a reference to the distinguished psychologist of the same name noted for her studies in clinically created false memories. Ah, I don't yeah. know much about her, but cases that she's worked on, it's ton, it's so many, I mean, mm-hmm. it's an incredible amount of cases, involve O.J. Simpson, the mass murderers Ted Bundy and Willie Mack and Angela Bueno, uh, Oliver North, um, Rodney King, the beating of Rodney King, the trial of the Mendez brothers, Bosnian war trials. Wow. It's still going. And Oklahoma <coughs> City bombing, the Oklahoma City bombing case, and the litigations involving... Michael Jackson. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh, so, yeah, that's interesting. I have no idea what it means. I looked it up and my brain could not figure out what this Elizabeth Loftus so was this, doing. If it's yeah. just about people constructing false memories or if it's about implanting false memories into people's heads. Right. I don't know. And then I was like, is that involved in this movie? And honestly, I'm not sure. And I've watched this a few times. I know. I watched it twice. And I'm just sitting here trying to think, like, okay, how does it connect? Yeah. But the piece that brought this film to you is that you are a polygraph examiner. I am. So for those of us that aren't polygraph examiners, could you tell us what a polygraph is and how does it work, really? Um. So uh, a polygraph is... Um, Basically, it's a way, and it's been, um, they they started 
oh man, my, my history is probably not that great. You don't have uh, to get too fast. So I won't. But it started, I think, um, a long time ago. <laughs> it started in 1702 <laughs> when they, no, um, but it, it was a long time ago. What they found is that there's a correlation between your physiological response uh, when you are being deceptive versus truthful. There's a difference there. Okay. And so. <clears throat> Is it different than, say, like when somebody lies, they look to the left? Or is it like something physiologically with the brain? Well, or? what it is, is it's primarily, I mean, I think that there are a lot of tells that they can find. And there's a lot of things that you can look at. And, and um, you know, oh, is there, you know, they might cross their arms or they may do certain things to mm-hmm. show that they're, or um, not, not having eye contact or having too much contact can indicate truthfulness versus deception. But um, what 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 polygraph deals with primarily is is more of the physiological response. So the things that are involved um, with your autonomic nervous system and things that your body um, does. Sorry. <laughs> the things that your body does involuntarily. Okay. Um, Auto- and autonomic. So, yes. Okay. And now, and once you say it a couple times, it's like, is it autonomic? Yeah, yes, autonomic. it is. <clears throat> So uh, when you, um, so what they found is that if you connect sensors to someone and you record what's happening in their body, then you can find, um, you can find kind of the different signs um, with what your body is doing and how it's reacting when it answers certain questions. Is it different from person to person? Um, it can't, yeah, it very much can be, but there's certain things, um, and they've done a bunch of data analysis and things sure. to, to find and studies to find, but, um, definitely, I mean, when you have, uh, different people and different anxiety levels and different, mm-hmm. um, you which know, this movie touches on for sure. <laughs> oh, <boy>. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this movie has so many, uh, <laughs> there are just so many moments. Um, yeah, so really it's just kind of, if you were to break it down, it's just basically you attach sensors to people and you interpret and read and score. Um, so what it is, is that you look at it and you look at all these responses in the body and then you can kind of look at that to score and look at whether or not they're being, um, truthful when asked certain questions. Now the process that we're seeing in Deceiver from 1997, I'm guessing is very different from 2019. Right. So what are some of the differences? That are, are they still using paper and the little <laughs> pen things that go back and forth? Well, so there, I, I, you know, I think that there are some, there are a lot of people that may use analog every once in a while. Whoa. It's got, yeah. So that basic pen and ink, and you saw him, like he was refilling the actual yes. ink in the, in oh, the, the details are in there. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's pretty, I, I loved that part because yeah. I loved watching, um, the different kind of, but, uh, uh, for me, it's all computerized. Okay. So, um, it all plugs into a set and, and I have it all connected to my computer. So I see those squiggly lines, but it's all on my, on my computer. And, um, does the computer pre-grade or is it still like, a- well, the computer can help you score, but, mm-hmm. um, but I do it all by my, I do it myself. I can use, I use the computer as a, um, kind of a quality assurance or whatever, but, um, but primarily you do it you do it yourself and the main difference between 1997 and now too is well I mean, in that movie, it was like they took all kinds of liberties. Yeah. But, but I would say also, uh, I have a lot more like sensors for movement. So he mm-hmm. was just sitting in a in a chair um, with nothing. 
Yeah, he had something on his him. finger. And, yeah, so those are the sensors that go on your fingers. And That's those, for like heartbeat. Those, no, those look at your electrodermal response. So that is just looking at your skin, and and it's it it measures the like kind of the conductivity of your skin, and it Ooh. can look at different things like sweat, and it's um, and so it looks at that. Then you have the the tubes that were on. Um, his chest and his stomach. Mm-hmm. Those look at breathing. Okay. And then the cardio cuff on his arm looks at blood pressure. Uh, so I have a quote here from a different film from 2005. This is from Harsh Times. And a polygraph expert says, <clears throat> I've been doing polygraph tests since before you were swimming in your father's balls. Now, <laughs> <laughs> now either you've got a tack in your shoe or you're clenching your butt. <laughs> Is that an autonomonic response or? <laughs> that is someone who's trying to do what's called countermeasures. So countermeasures are what people do that are trying to beat the, yeah. the test. And, and to be honest, those are the two that I hear the most. So I'll ask everybody that I test. I'll say, okay, so what have you learned about polygraph? What have you researched? Or have you heard anything that could help you pass or, or try to trick the test? Yeah. And the tack in the shoe is number one. Everybody really? hears, oh, you put a tack in your shoe and then you, you step into it. And it creates, you know, yeah. like and and clenching your butt's another one. <laughs> clenching your butt is another one. But, but I, I have seat sensors, so I tell them like, yeah. if you clench your butt, I'm gonna know. What so. about tack in the butt? Attack in the butt is one of the lesser known okay. ones. I would say that is... Because if you just flexed is, a little bit, you yeah. could get kind of the same toe response, but the plate would probably right? pick it up, right? Yeah, I think it would be all picked up. And uh, oh, I think it would... I found may, a way around it. If I ever get... So if I ever give you a polygraph, I need to check your butt? Is that what um, I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much? Probably. Okay, I mean, it. seeing how my brain went, I think, yeah, probably <laughs> that's where it's going to go. Um so in the first scene, they're doing a, mm-hmm. a polygraph with um, with Tim Roth. Mm-hmm. And Chris Penn, after a couple of questions, is like, all right, I'm going to go correct this thing. Do you stop tests and correct while the person is present? Well, no. And that was one of the differences. Um, I mean, we're going to find a lot of differences. <laughs> yeah, there were so many. <laughs> but what they... Um, Okay, yeah, we'll start there. Yeah. But um, what what I do and what's common practice now, and, and um, it may vary slightly, but in general, um, what you'll do is you'll ask the same set of questions mm. three times. Okay. So you have like maybe, you know, a certain number of questions yeah. that you're going to ask. Um, you ask that, that set of questions and then you give the person a break because the... Um, the cardio cuff, the blood pressure cuff, is inflated the whole time. So it can oh, get really uncomfortable yeah. for a person if they're going to sit through it. So you give them a break in between each of the, the times sure. that you ask. But you have them sit through all three. And unless, of course, they need to, you know, yeah. something else. And you have things that up. you know are true. That's what happens in this movie anyway is they're like, your name is Tim Roth, which they don't say because that would be weird. But um, right, and then he's like, right. yeah, totally. And they're like, okay, all right. Yeah, some kind of neutral. There's some neutral questions. Like, Mm -hmm. I'll ask, you know, is today April 27th or whatever? And um, so you have some of those questions, and then and then you know goes into the rest of the rest of the uh, testing. Was the ending of the Avengers a good ending for a movie? Yes. And if the person's like, no, you're like, liar, (laughs) you fail, (laughs) you fail, butt clencher. So get that, that tack out of your butt yeah, right that, now. Get out of here. 
then, so in the film, we're introduced to the characters and we get stats, which is an interesting thing that's right. happening in this ni- 1997 film. Which the, were, they were also written very small. So and I'm tiny. like, am I getting so old no. that I have to actually put my nose to the TV yeah. to actually read? And I had to pause it because they also put them up so fast. Okay, yeah. I'm glad to hear that because I'm like, They also don't wow. have really much to do with Nothing. anything that's going on in the movie. No. It's like, oh, he's single and never had kids. Yeah, and like, he used to work at Walmart. Up. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like, so what? Mm-hmm. But it's a very 1997 thing to happen. It is. I mean, you can feel the repercussions of something like um, Usual Suspects mm-hmm. in, a, in a movie like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get all of that. We get the the number of kids they had. Uh, and then, Their IQ level. Yeah. And then there's a part where it says confession rates. Yeah. So one of the things that's going to be different for this conversation is you're not a detective, which I'm right. guessing they're detectives. There are, yes. And a lot of, um, they, they have um, a lot of police offices will have, and departments, I guess, um, will have actual polygraphers that Whoa. work within their Like their a sketch artist. Yeah. Like they have the person like, in this is the thing I do. <laughs> their in-house polygraph examiner. Yeah, a lot of my friends uh, do that. And wow. So um, they're, they specialize in that. I don't know the level of detective work that they do. I don't yeah. know that it quite matches mm-hmm. what was going on in the movie. And they definitely don't have two of them in the room at the same time of the oh, polygraph. Okay. That does not happen. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then uh, we get a flashback in the film uh, that tells us how Chris Penn got in the hole and we're introduced to Mook, which the whole time I was like, what is she doing and why did they call why? her Mook? What is that about? Which is funny because uh, in, I don't know why for some reason in our family it became a hilarious joke to call each other Mooks all the time. Yeah. So I died laughing when there was an actual character and it was Ellen Burstyn, yeah. no less. And I was like, what is what this? Is this? What a weird... Why is she there? And what is happening? Apparently we needed that backstory. Yeah, because the next thing we see is Tim Roth back yeah. in the polygraph, and he begins to start taking shots at Chris Penn. Mm-hmm. Which brings us to something that I really love about Tim Roth. He's got a great range, and he can play, like, wild and crazy and super right. off the cuff and stuff. But I really like Tim Roth when he's talking in a quiet little, like just like a frog voice. Right. And he, it's just, he's like barely alive. There's something so unnerving about him yeah. and his like dead shark eyes. Yeah. That, I mean. I really like him. Yeah. I like uh, watching oh, him. Oh, yeah. He is so good. I mean, mm-hmm. and he just like, he's one of those people that's like um, like white hot. Mm. Like you see him in um, Pulp Fiction or whatever and mm-hmm. telling, he's saying words or Reservoir Dogs too. Um, and it's just, you you feel like he's going to attack somebody mm-hmm. just with what he's saying. It's, right. He's so good. Um, okay. So then it starts to show little things. So Tim Roth takes us, he swallows and then we see a tick on the machine. Yeah. So it's showing us that it's measuring everything. <laughs> but what's the swallow meter? Is that the breathing that could well, pick that up? So or it's, it's a hard swallow. A lot of it is the movement part of it. Got it. And the things, you know, just, and it's trying to, trying to make sure he's not doing anything, anything strategically to try to mess with. Oh boy, questions. does he though. Oh boy, does he oh, though. Oh goodness. Next we get a flashback from the point of view of Tim Roth at 14. Oh Which yeah. I'm like, how many? We're getting a lot of these. Uh, then we're suddenly back in the seat, and mm-hmm. uh, Tim begins coughing so that he can make the machine go crazy. Yes, and he can go to the bathroom. Yes, I'd imagine this is a common move. 
Uh, not no. a cough, but something that people um, are like, I've got to use the restroom to like get well, out of it. I will ask right before we just, before we get started, like, do oh. you need to use the restroom? Um, there's definitely, um, I've had a few people go into, to coughing fits yeah. right before. And I think, and it's, it's so strange because I think that the human body does a lot of things when people get really nervous oh, sure. and especially yeah. when they're not wanting to tell the truth. I've seen some strange, some strange things. And one of them is, uh, hiccups, no burps yeah. oh. actually. Yeah, like kind of like indigestion sort of stuff, like oh, where weird. it's like, yeah, it's so it's strange. Like, like all of a sudden response. people get really gassy. Mm-hmm. Mm. And a lot of times when that happens, it ends up being where something was deceptive. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Are they ever like, sometimes no, it's I just swear, nerves, whatever. I'm telling but. the truth. <laughs> no, thank God. I would, yeah. Yeah, that is not uh, not a common, but okay. you know, I'm sure it's happening. I just don't hear it. Well, those plates would I see know. it. I see it on the sensors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so then in the bathroom, he takes pills. Mm-hmm. Can high people be polygraphed? Um, so there's, there's definitely certain things that, um, so I always ask what medications people are taking mm-hmm. before they start. And there's definitely things that if people are, are taking, then I would not. They're like inhibitors. Yeah. And, and like, um, for that one, they said, uh, you know, he took something and it made everything go flat, you know? So he's, he took something that, that, um, numbed him out or whatever. I don't, I, it was a epilepsy yes. drug, I think yes. is what they said it was. So he yeah. takes like 18 of them though. So I'm like, what? He like yeah. fills his hand with a pill and eats it where I was like, oh, he's going to overdose. And then he's yeah. like, it's epilepsy medicine. And I'm like, they should make uh, those pills stronger and give like, him less of them. <laughs> Who's working at this pill factory? I love how people in movies always take pills too. It's just like oh, they yeah. shake them randomly into their hands and yeah. then throw them back. I was like, how, you didn't even look at how many pills you no, just took. No, and they're always carrying them in the actual pill container. Yes. And it's like it's super loud when what? they take And there's just like the whole time you'd be jingling and jangling everywhere. And can we also add a side note that in the bathroom, there was that random shot. Like, what do you call this? Like when police officers practice shooting and they have those posters yeah. of the body yeah. in the bathroom. Yeah. Like, how many police stations do you really think have that? We need a... Of the ones I've been in at the bathroom of? <laughs> Every single one. Most, mostly that's what the stalls are made of. It's very unnerving. Well, and then I was like, are they practicing in the bathroom? Because yeah. that's a bad idea. Um, I've been in men's rooms. People should practice in men's yeah, rooms because there's true. urine everywhere. Yeah. Wouldn't be doing much damage. No. Men's are the worst. It's so gross. <laughs> uh, Rooker tells a crazy story at this point. Um, oh, no, he delivers a great speech first about a guy out thinking himself. It makes himself so oh, nervous God, that he's found guilty. Why? And then at the end of it, but is that Tim possible? Roth says, why did you just tell me that? Yeah. Which was hilarious because at the end of it, I said, why did you just tell yeah. him that? And I think we almost said it at exactly the same yeah. time. It's good writing. Um, which was, I mean, if you think about it. That would just undermine the entire process yeah. when you're telling them that the polygraph didn't work. And in the same breath, he's like, polygraphs are foolproof. Yeah. And then he launches into this story about how a guy failed. He didn't do what he was. He said he was doing, but mm-hmm. he failed because he was nervous. And he goes to prison like, and he never gets out. Yeah, because every single time he, just he was pissing himself, he was so nervous. I was like, what are you talking about? Anyway, and why are you telling this Anyway, guy? polygraphs always work. I'm the best <laughs> storyteller. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so then Rookie Rooker tells a crazy story about a man who fillets his own legs because he's drunk on absinthe. Yeah. And he says, 
Imagine thinking you're a six-foot apple. Which is just a great line. <laughs> and by the way, don't you feel like absinthe got kind of a bad rap Such in this movie? Such a bad movie? rap. <laughs> it was like, wow. They make absinthe seem like... In 1997. Well, I mean, obviously, they make it sound like you drink absinthe and you're going to flay your own skin yeah. because you think you're an apple. And cut your own And that ear that's off viable. Yeah. All this like... In 97, what was the deal with absinthe? I don't know. I think that the Pate brothers just thought rich people are the people who drink mm. absinthe. And he's like, let's show how messed it's up these the rich, rich people are. It's the rich man's drunk. Yeah, it <laughs> I is. I was like, what? And it, it comes up several different times. Yes. He goes the and gets more from absinthe. Mook. Yeah. And like... Yeah, it's, it's is total absinthe madness. kind of blue? Was it kind of sort green. of blue? It's a greenish it's color. It's a weird yeah. color. It was an off color, okay. Uh, you know what? I, I never had, realized. I don't think I've had absinthe before. Is that before. in 1997, I could be wrong, I believe Nine Inch Nails released their single A Perfect Drug. Oh, yeah, In I which that song. Uh, Mr. Reznor mm-hmm. is, there's a lot of crow imagery and things, but he's mm-hmm. also, I think, drinking absinthe in the video. Yes! So... I don't know. I think that's it. Might be ninety nine. So, have do to you check. think they were trying to to go anti to Reznor's pro absinthe? Yes. <laughs> video. I think maybe they were trying to communicate with Reznor and be like, you know, we know you're rich and evil mm-hmm. now. We see you, Reznor. You were, you were cool back in the day. We'll take you down. Um, next, we have Tim Roth telling a rape story. Uh, this is something I didn't notice the first time I watched the film. And in the second oh, I time I watched it, right it away. <laughs> I think I might have been making a gin and tonic or something the first time through. But he blames the rape on a dead kid. And the cop's takeaway in the scene is, so you admit you're a habitual liar. Right? No, he admitted to being a rapist. He just admitted to being a rapist. And you guys aren't going to. And didn't well, somebody at one point say, well, that's not a felony or no, something? No, that's later on. I'll oh, get to that. Oh, is that later? Okay, because I was like. And then he said, well, so. And I'm like, okay, so this guy just admitted yeah. to raping someone. Yeah. And then they lean forward and they're <laughs> like, so. You're going to admit that you're a habitual liar? Yeah. And I'm like, that's our takeaway here? That's not it at all. And then if the only thing more shocking is how quickly the movie just moves away from the fact that the person who's like the anti-hero somewhat of the film mm-hmm. is a rapist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like it's not like it didn't even happen. What? What? I, I was so confused. That was like... What the hell yeah. just happened? And they even had the flashback of him walking in to tell this to girl. tell the dad. And, oh, and he was like, "So I couldn't have the guts to tell the girl. So yeah. I decided I would tell her dad." And I was like, "What?" And then at the last minute, yeah. I decided to blame it on a dead kid. Yeah, it's one of the world's worst stories, really. Wow. If you're like, "No, no, no, I'm a really good person." Let me tell you. So one time there was a sexual assault that I committed, but I was gonna like tell her because I felt I mean, that was know, ruining her life. I was gonna come clean, but then I was like, "Oh, maybe I'll tell her dad instead." And then I was like, "Oh, this dead kid did it." So anyway, I'm End pretty cool. And I'm like, "What? Why? What is? What? What was the purpose of that? It, like, how did that even come up, Dirk? Do you remember?" I. It could have been. Um, an alternate title for this movie is why would you say that? Like so, so many times. So many times. The whole time I was like, "What? Why did that happen? Why yeah. did you say that?" It's it's uh, totally absurd. I thought the other alternate title title could have been "Bitch, go get me something to drink" yes. because I feel like. Throughout the whole time, someone was saying, bitch, go get me something to drink. And maybe they didn't say bitch, but no. that's how it felt. Like, well, it was very, like... Michael Rooker is sweating so much that he's got to be thirsty. <laughs> he's losing in, a lot of water. In his defense, 
there's something wrong with his metabolism in this movie. <laughs> and he's dehydrated. Wow, yeah. And then he's also so that's ridiculous. why Rosanna Arquette's just got to keep him. Okay, yeah, okay. That's what it is. Okay. Um, so he then, never said please. Um, no. Ugh. It's awful. Ugh. Then uh, Tim Roth accuses Rooker of infidelity. And mm-hmm. so we get a flashback of that, which is always, I mean... Yeah. Um, at this point, I was like, more flashbacks. I need I, more flashbacks. You know what this show needs? Yeah. It's to go back in time a little bit more. Non-linear storytelling. So we really can't understand what's happening. Yes. Then they offer more. him an out because mm-hmm. they're like, this guy's high. So we just will let him leave. And mm-hmm. then um, and then Chris is talking about Rooker. And he's like, this guy's performed thousands of tests. Thousands. But what we don't learn is really how he started. Mm-hmm. We also don't know. How you started. <laughs> so before you give us that answer, okay. I should warn you that I get one guess, okay. and I am often staggeringly accurate. Okay, I'm ready. <clears throat> the year, 1987. A young Aaron Parker, dressed head to toe in a spree clothing and L.A. gear high top, strolled past the casual corner in South Ridge Mall, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Her goal? Not the Payless Shoe Store. Nor Gadzooks. I did research. <laughs> It was Woolworths, wherein she would procure a polka dot scrunchie and an Arizona T-style full print denim vest, thus nailing her DJ Tanner vibe for the dance. DJ Tanner! At the fitting room, she tried on the outfit and inquired to the attendant, Do I look like DJ Tanner? Without looking, the attendant replied, Oh, sure. It was Annie Potts' brother. (laughs) So Erin wore the outfit and got a red rod perm for her hair and wore her high side ponytail and scrunchie, but learned it was a terrible combination for thick curly hair. (laughs) She looked like a still from the movie Scanners when that one dude's head exploded. She had been lied to, thus setting her on the path to decipher who is the deceiver. (laughs) Oh my God. How did you know? Was that close? I feel like... You were there in I, my life. I mean, I did look up a lot of images of that mall in Wisconsin. Yeah, and DJ Tanner? Well, she popped up. Okay. So I was like, I mean, it, you can only type in the word scrunchy and see so many photos before DJ Tanner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of fact. Yeah. So there are some factual accuracies Okay, there. cool. So I will say that um, I did have a Woolworths in my hometown. Okay. And was it Wisconsin? I did go there. It was not Wisconsin. Actually, with Wyoming. So, W, I'm yeah, going to give it to I you. I get it mixed all the time. I did have a perm. Okay. Um, was it a tight Annie Red Rod perm? No. Nope. It was a little bit looser than that. And one would ask, obviously, not anyone listening because they can't see me, but I do have naturally curly yeah. thick hair. So, why did 80s Aaron get a perm? You know, and only 80s Aaron can answer yeah. that because at this point I have no idea. Um, And she'd probably say, it's totally rad. (laughs) Maybe. Mm -hmm. That does sound a little like what I would say. Okay. Um, But that is, in fact, not No, not how you did it. Well, I kind of know this because I knew previous jobs that you've had before this. So you sort of But how did you move from what you did 
before into being a polygraph examiner? Well, I think it's all, uh, it's just all sort of closely related. So, um, and it's kind of how we met is through my, my previous job. So I had worked for over 11 years or so at a residential group home for, um, adolescent males that had sexually offended. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I did treatment and, um, well, I didn't do treatment, but I helped. I was a supervisor and case manager and, and then also line staff and did a whole bunch of things within, um, to help, uh, people get through treatment and, and get help for, for sexual offending issues. So part of that is that I noticed, um, that there would be a polygraph examiner that came in and would do polygraphs um, with the juveniles. Mm. And I was fascinated by it because it's so strange. Like, it just seemed like such a strange event. Yeah. And like, um, but I looked into it and I was just really fascinated by it. And um, I kind of came to a place kind of needed to back off of that job after a while because it's just after a while it starts to, um, it can be really heavy, heavy work. Yeah. Um, we know a number of people who have, have worked in that field. Yeah. And some of the things that people don't realize is that, um, I don't know if I could say often, but many kids that have sexually offended were sexually offended right. at an even younger age. Right. So you're kind of being steeped in one of the darkest subject matters on the right. planet. Um, and there's all kinds of things that where there's therapeutic um, walkthroughs and things where there's, mm-hmm. you know, like details of specific traumas. Yeah. And, and it's not like, you know, something that is it not ungraphic, shall we say. Right. So there's only so much of that I could imagine that it's maybe healthy for someone to take on before maybe hopefully passing the torch on to the next person. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And I think I think one of the things that helps to keep you in the field mm-hmm. is when you know that someone has been hurt yeah. so that you can help heal some of that. And you can also see, see that it's all just, it's not just one dimensional, that right. it's, that there's all kinds of things, but, but you're right that that, that multidimensional abuse starts mm-hmm. to just get piled on. And when you're helping people with that, so you're not only dealing with the stuff that they've done and right. the ugly, awful things that they've done to hurt other people, but then yeah. you're also looking at all of the things and the histories of what's happened to them. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times their siblings. And then sometimes you even look back at like even their parents. Right. So you can see just this multiple generational abuse. And, and, um, so I just stepped back after a while because it was starting to impact just like, whew, just a lot, a lot. but, um, so I stepped aside for a while and I did other work with families and children in another area. And then, um, yeah, I was, uh, I was looking some stuff up and talking to people and, um, and I just kind of came back to that fascination that I had with the polygraph examiner yeah. and the, the work and, um, and I've always felt, I, and it sounds kind of weird to say, but I always felt drawn to help, to helping in that field. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I, that there's a part of it there that I, I think I can compartmentalize to, to do the work at all. And sure. I feel like it's really important. So I decided, um, yeah, I'm going to look into this and see kind of what else, uh, you know, what it would take to be a polygraph examiner. Mm-hmm. And, and then that's sort of how I decided, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to try this and see, see how it goes. And I'm pretty, I'm relatively new to the field. I've been doing it for just a few years now. And, um, and so far I, I really, I've really that's, enjoyed being in the field. That's interesting. Cause I, I think if I picture a polygraph examiner outside of Chris Penn and Michael Rooker, um, <laughs> yeah. 
half your face is lit. Um, mm-hmm. And you always unbutton your shirt about four buttons yeah, down if you're yes, Chris Penn. Yes. I wanted to button that so oh bad. Oh my God. I, that's <laughs> Please, ever since Chris. Footloose. He's Just like, one. These two yeah. buttons unbuttoned. Um, yeah. I picture an older person for yeah. polygraph. You, maybe I, a mustache. Yeah, it just mm-hmm. seems maybe it's because of the portrayals in in film or or TV where you see the the old machine, the analog, as you said. Yeah. Um, that I picture someone that almost looks like Doctor Kevorkian age, like <laughs> just being like, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I do think that the field, um, just kind of looking back into like if you look at the history of things, and and a lot of, uh, I mean, there definitely were women in the field, and now I feel like there's a lot more women in the field, but there was sort of that old school kind of uh, a lot of older men, or just mm. you know, just a lot of men in the field up yeah. until, you know, and I don't know how long it's been, but it's definitely now. There's a lot of and a lot of colleagues that I've met out here, are just amazing women, and they do a great job, and um, so it's really cool. But it, I don't think that's a wrong perception because I think yeah. for a while it was just kind of a lot of older older white men. Yeah. Yeah. Well glad they're mixing it up. Yeah. Uh okay, so I was off. Um a little <laughs> bit. Next uh Tim reveals that he has epilepsy. And so the cops go to look into epilepsy and how that'll help him pass a polygraph. By going to the creepiest psychologist He's that's ever lived. So creepy. And why can't he talk to them directly? Like he had his Only head turned his at a weird angle. Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand that guy at all. He's like, you can come over anytime you want, apparently. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'll be either in a very dark corner or mm-hmm. in my kitchen. So and I'm going to tilt my head in an awkward just angle. Just a little bit. And say things very creepily. Yes. Uh then Tim Roth has temporal lobe epilepsy and hallucinates that he stabs his mother in such a weird scene. Yeah. I was like, oh, wow, this movie's turning quick. And then it's just like, no. no, that didn't happen. And then they keep saying, like, if you have epilepsy, you're like super crazy murderer. You're barely on earth. And like, I don't you're know. You're going to stand on furniture. The big thing was the standing on furniture. Standing on chairs, which <laughs> I didn't know this, but my daughter's epileptic. You keep telling her. <laughs> you're like, get off the furniture. Quit, quit being so epileptic <laughs> on chairs is what we always say to her. Well, it's very insensitive, I'm sure. And I apologize to anyone with epilepsy. <laughs> Well, I I also going back to the the stabbing scene. Yeah. As you know, I'm not great with blood in general, but it wasn't like it wasn't like I couldn't watch it. But the fat, the thing that stood out to me the was buttering, him buttering the, bread. the bread. Yes. So he has he stands up, stabs his mom, yeah. and there's like blood all over the knife. And then he leans over and he gets butter and puts it. I don't know why I thought that yeah. was just genius. For some reason, part that it part of the great. scene was like, yeah. Although the rest of it was like, what? And then is it's just happening? like, no. <laughs> What's happening? But no, the buttering of that. the bread. Yeah. I don't know why. And then, you know, of course, it's all bloody. And yeah. it's like, wow. Then uh, next we have Rooker's wife wants to have sex with him. And he's like, I'm not into it. Um, and why did she want to have sex with him? I don't he know. seemed so mean all the time. This is when I wrote down, none of these people are getting along. No. And this movie is made up of so many people. And none of them get along. Nobody likes anybody. Nobody. In this film. Like, not all. No not one at actually all. feels connected to anybody. Yeah. I would argue that these people are so disconnected that that's one of the strangest parts of this disjointed movie is that like. Right. No one. Some people are in the same scene together, but are they? But are they really? And like, for example, we, I don't think we talked about this. And I think it was previous before yeah. the bed to have sex with me scene is when she comes home and he accuses her of cheating. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then he looks obviously pissed, yes. right? And he looks like he's accusing her of having cheated. And then he's like, 
could you give me something to drink? Yeah. And she's like, okay. And I was like, if that would have been me and my husband, yeah. I would have been like, uh, wait, what? What's happening? Yeah. Like, are we doing that now? That well, and wrong. we, at that point, Sarah was like, um, she's wearing the same white dress that Renee Zellweger yes! was wearing in the beginning, which is revealed yes. later on. But I was like, oh, what is happening in this movie? Because yes. it's not revealed yet. But yeah. And then Michael Rooker pours the orange juice on the ground and yeah. then he throws the glass and he's like, clean it up. And he didn't even take a drink. No. Which is weird for how sweaty one. he was. But for how dehydrated. And so then, dehydrated. And then she's on the floor and he leans down and is like, what are you doing? Yeah. And I'm like, motherfucker, she's cleaning up the orange yeah. juice she just spilled all I'm over like, the floor. I'm like, is this improv? <laughs> what is happening? Or did he literally <laughs> forget, like, what scene is this? Yeah. He's like, what are you, I don't know what my next line is. Yes. Line? What are you doing? I don't know. I'm going to go with Where just are we? more sweating. <laughs> um, sweat acting is what he was really bringing to the- uh, But it was incongruous. I think that is totally true. Like, yeah. it's just another scene where like, you're like, that woman is not reacting to what that man is no. doing. And then all of a sudden the man is acting like he doesn't know why she's doing it. And yeah. Yeah. It's all very strange. And then Chris Penn pays half the money he owes to Mook- but to a guy in a confessional booth. Yes. And I love this part. Yes. He, he asks the dude, he's been giving the money to you, and the guy's like, you owe us more. And he's like, oh, I'll get it to you, but like, can you say a prayer for me? And the guy's like, what? And Ben says, you're still a priest, right? And the guy's like, oh, right, whatever. It's like so crazy that in this story, with just a matter of a few words, they <laughs> paint the picture of this guy that's totally like in, in with the mob or whatever it is mm-hmm. that Luke's doing. But yet he's still a priest. But yeah, he's completely forgotten in this moment. And he's just like, oh, right, I'm a priest. Oh, yeah, we're in oh. a confessional. It's like a cop that's really bad at undercover. <laughs> but he's like in the right oh, outfit yeah. and in a specialized setting, like where you would mm-hmm. not forget that. Yeah. That's like, so bizarre. Like, how did you forget? And then he's like, I think he says like, God be with you. Yeah, and I don't know. God be with that you. That was it? You know, whatever you need. Dude. Yeah, yeah. It's so bizarre. That was so strange. Uh, then we get a flashback. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like he's being honest and he and talking about when he first sees Renelle Zellweger. Zellweger mm-hmm. And he's like, and then she like asked me for a cigarette. No, he says like, uh, hey, do you want a drink? Yeah. And he says, hey, do you have a cigarette? And so there's like this twist of like, oh, it's like a detachment of the what truth he's and saying lies. And what's actually happening. That was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just so disjointed at the same time. And it goes straight into an epileptic fit. And then he kicks the living shit out of Michael Rooker. Like, he beats okay. him so hard. Okay, right? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I don't know a lot about police procedure. But this seems a little like they wouldn't just let this guy walk out of the police station yeah. after beating the shit out yeah. of the detective polygraph it examiner. wild. And they're like... <laughs> I was like... Chris Penn's like... Uh, Shouldn't have touched him. Yeah, well, that's what the the, the guy they're going to see about it. He's like, that's what you shouldn't have done. You shouldn't have touched him. And he's like, but none of this admissible in court. And I'm like, it completely Um, is. You sort of just videotaped him beating the shit out of Of a a, police officer. So wouldn't that be admissible? It's so crazy. Would we say that's not And then Chris Penn's like, you know, he's got broken ribs and a cracked eye socket. Yeah. And then we see Michael Rooker, and he's just sweating more. He's not even beat up. It's like he broke his sweat gland, is what they should have said, because mm-hmm. they're like, he's mm-hmm. just glistening now, like even more so. Yeah. I wonder if there's a person standing off camera that's just got a water bottle. Yeah. It's just like more sweat, please, because oh. every scene, guys, he looked sweatier. We need to glaze Rooker again. Could somebody 
Does anyone have Vaseline we could put on his face? Okay. He's wetter in this than in the movie Slither when he's covered in like Vaseline and stuff yeah. and prosthetics. It's mm-hmm. wild. It's a problem. Um, then there's this uh, card trick part that's interesting where they put these cards out. Yeah. And they're like, okay, pick a card with your eyes. Mm-hmm. Is this your card? Right. And Tim Roth's like, no. And I'm like, they won't play this scene for five more minutes. And he's like, is this your card? And I was like, oh, they are. They are going to go do the this. whole way through this. And uh, and he points to the card that he did pick. Mm-hmm. And he says it's not his card. And then they show the machine. And the machine's like, no, no, it's fine. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. he gets to the end. And he's like, this your card? And he's like, no. And then he somehow makes the machine go crazy. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, is that that's actually, you can do that with, um, like, you can you can do that. And some people, I think, in the past have done that even as a practice test wow. where they'll have, like, hey, pick a number. Mm-hmm. Um, but number one, they'll have the person write down what their answer is. Like, okay. Uh, yeah. And number two, like... Um, why would he want to tip his hat yeah. if he can do something to physiologically control his own responses? Yeah. Why would he tip his hat to them to be like, hey, guys, them? you're not going to know if I'm lying or not. Yeah. Boom. No. No. They would. He doesn't act like a guy who really wants to um, be seen as innocent yeah. for some reason. Like, he wants to tell them he's raped people. Yeah. He wants to show them he's fucking with the test. Uh-huh. It's like, what is what exactly... There's even a part later on where Mook's like, why are you doing this? And yeah. I was like, I think we're exactly. all wondering why any of this is happening. Why is he not in jail right now for beating the crap out of the guy in the last Nobody scene? Nobody knows. Don't know. Uh, then Tim goes and to the, uh, talks to the stripper in the, mm-hmm. in the stripper booth on the phone. Um, I've never seen one of those stripper booths except for in movies. Looked very unhygienic. I don't know why the phones were ever there. Nope. But I, so it's like she's in the booth and that's the only way they can hear yeah, each other. Yeah, you pick up the phone and you're like, oh, this is a gross phone. Like, I don't yeah. know what you would say exactly. Well, but and like, if it's supposed to be a stripping booth, like really, like, I mean, because he did say, like, we just do a lot of talking. Right. But in general, that's not very practical for a stripper to have to hold up a phone right. if she's going to try to take her clothes off. Like, don't you need both your hands for that? Yeah. And yeah. she's just laying down the whole time. No, she's just lounging. That's really weird. Talking about how weird he is. Yeah. And then they're mm-hmm. dating. So they go to a party. Yes. And they laugh super crazy. Really outlandishly. Really super crazy. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure why. Don't know. Then it's not really explained no. what that explosion was with the parents. No. Did I... Ugh. And then she's like, you can be so cruel. And I was like, but what? Yeah. I didn't understand how that was cruel. I have Just no idea. Crazy? And she's like, and we were so drunk. And I'm like, I don't know if that's drunk. I don't yeah. know what they were. It's no. very bizarre. Um, but they drank the house dry. I think they say at one part. Mm-hmm. Uh, then uh, they were back at the polygraph, and Tim knows about everything in these people's lives, every detail in the two detectives' lives. Mm-hmm. And then he says, because uh, he's rich, and he can do whatever he wants and know everything because he's rich. Yeah. There Which, we go. These dudes hate rich people. They really, really do. <laughs> They're like, you know who's the worst? Rich people. Rich people. They can pay people so they don't know all the details. And absent. Weird stuff then happens. That's what mm-hmm. I wrote because I'm like, what is going on now? And then he's got the absinthe and he mm-hmm. gets the drugs from Mook. And then there's yeah. a rave happening, but you don't see anything. He's just no. at a table and there's banging techno music for like 60 seconds. Right. And then uh, I just wanted to mention that you can get traditional full service absinthe at Lemoule in Portland. Oh, so nice. if you are interested in getting the mm-hmm. whole sugar cube thing and all that, you can go to Lemoule. If and- this podcast makes you thirsty for yeah. some absinthe. 
If you want your life to be like Tim Roth's in Deceiver. Just don't come blaming Dirk if you flay no. all the skin off your legs. Yeah, don't go <laughs> like an apple. thinking you're a six-foot apple. Um, <clears throat> then he gets wasted with Renee at the train station. And then there's another thing that in this scene that I think is very interesting. Mm-hmm. So they're both laying down somewhere at the train station, kind of up against a wall. Right. And they're having this little talk. And then it, it shows him look. And this movie has so many parts where you're like seeing through a camcorder or you're seeing through a 14-year-old's eyes. There's so many different points of view in the yes. film that we don't know who it is that's seeing this, but it shows someone walking with two suitcases. Yeah. And then we've found out, I think, by this point that that Renee is murdered and then she's cut in two and put in two separate bags yes. and found at the train station. So I was like, oh, Tim Roth saw the murderer because mm-hmm. there's the person with the two bags. But that's not the case at all. So this scene just kind of goes on and nothing comes from that. Right. And then we get to one of the wildest things that we, we mentioned in this movie where Rooker's wife's infidelity, there's a whole history of things. <laughs> oh, and then he plays a tape of Renee and Rooker mm-hmm. where Rooker's attacking her. And <laughs> Michael Rooker says, what is on that tape isn't a felony. Again. <laughs> I Googled it because I'm not a detective. But things that are felonies, um, rape and assault, both felonies. And I'm not a detective, but he hired a prostitute, and I'm guessing mm-hmm. didn't pay her. Right. That's probably against the law as well. Yeah. So the only logical step is that Tim Roth give Rooker a polygraph. So Michael Rooker's character gets in the seat. This was so absurd. And Tim Roth gives him a polygraph. The jump between this, I made one note that just said, he's a terrible policeman. Just so bad. He's the worst. There's so much wrong with this entire scene. Well, this movie, but that entire scene was insane. Yeah. It's like, well, then prove it. It's like, okay, but didn't we just watch a video of him, like, beating her? I mean, I guess prove it that she didn't murder her, but then the only logical step is that Tim Roth's character then... Yeah conducts the polygraph. Well, he's got to because Chris Penn, for most of this movie, is standing eight feet away from everybody else, half lit, and saying things like, what? What? You do that to me? Maybe I should unbutton my shirt. Oh, can I borrow some money? <laughs> like, that's all he has to do. He's yeah. a great actor and so underused in this where they yeah. give, like, all the wild speeches to right. my sweaty Michael Rooker. Yeah, and at some point, I was waiting for him to be like, dude, stop calling me stupid. Yeah. Like, how many people, like, made fun of his intelligence in so this show? So many. So many. They're just like, so you're dumb. Many. And you know it's the, like, the residuals from the 80s where, like, the person that's of weight is the person they're going to call stupid. Yeah. You know? Because it's like, he hasn't shown, I mean... There's no need for that unless the people that wrote it also hate people who Um, aren't tiny. mm -hmm. Um, Could be. So then I wrote in all caps, everything happening in this movie is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) It's just nonsense. Yeah. And then Brooker's so sweaty now. Yeah. He's he's hit like peak sweatiness for this movie. And he's in the chair and it Mm -hmm. shows um, Chris Penn and he looks like he's going to cry. He's got like tears in his eyes. That his friend's receiving a polygraph from a madman. Mm-hmm. And, like, I feel like it's not normal office hours when no, this is happening. No, no. I think, actually, they said, meet me at 6. I think because oh. when I watched it the second time, because I'm like, when are they there? Yeah. This is crazy. Um, a side note. 
in when they were in that office before. Remember yeah. that the, all of a sudden the shutters went up and they were like totally yes. wrestling a dude in the background. Yeah. Did you catch that? Too? Yeah, anyway, yeah. this office, I don't know what's going on in there. That's but the wildest. I, again, don't know police protocol, but yeah. I feel like after somebody shows a video of the polygraph examiner yeah. like beating a prostitute sure. that was later murdered, yeah. maybe calls for like, hey, let's stop. Yeah. Go get somebody else. Maybe um, end this conversation. Well, and also uh, like everything in this guy. room is being filmed. Yes. We know this because they mm-hmm. showed the therapist guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not normally a TV and a VCR. So when Tim Roth is like, hey, I'm going to show a video, he would have had to go to the AV department and been like, <laughs> I know I'm not a policeman, but can I check out a TV mm-hmm. and a VCR? And they're like, what for? And he's like, I just got to show him a tape. Yeah. And they're like, what kind of tape? And he's like, oh. I can't really tell you. Um, (laughs) You'll have to just watch the tape of this that's going to happen in an hour. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's very strange. Um, So then there's a scene where there's a story about a bribe. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tim almost leaves. Then there's Russian roulette, a standoff. Rooker almost shoots Tim Roth and then tells him (laughs) to talk. And if he lies, he's going to kill him. Mm -hmm. At which point I wrote, all of this is admissible in court. (laughs) All of it. Right, right. Nothing's been compromised throughout this entire situation. None of this is going to be a problem. So he takes drugs. Yeah. And then he starts talking. Right. And uh, he says he found her dead, but then he cut her up into two pieces because his fingerprints were everywhere and he didn't want to be a suspect. The most ridiculous <laughs> reason. I can't even remember what I wrote, but it's I remember- literally what he says though. I was just like, what? Yeah. Ah, uh, I wrote- What is that? How does that make the story more reasonable? I put, ah, the old sever the prostitute defense. <laughs> I couldn't have done it, sir. I merely cut her in half. My fingerprints were everywhere, and I had to get them out somehow, so I just split her in half and poured all the fingerprints off of her body. Mm-hmm. And then Tim Roth gets so huffy. Uh-huh. It's like a long scene of him being super huffy. That was too much breathing. Yeah, and then he collapses. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, no, what's going to happen now in this movie? And then you see the EMS guy, and he works for Mooks. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wait a second. One year later. Five. Was it five? I no, one. One. Sorry. It just sorry, says sorry, one sorry. year later. Right. And I was like, yeah. okay. And then the funeral guy is the guy that ratted out Chris Penn. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, some cover-up's happening. And then the film, you see uh, Chris Penn retiring and two mm-hmm. cops being like, he was about to retire like previously or something. And then he gives money back to Michael mm-hmm. Rooker, who's still going to be a dirty cop. Yeah. And then uh, it just shows Tim Roth be a serial killer. And then it's like, and Finn. The movie's over. That was it. The he one said year some later super scene. Super creepy is thing like to another lady. A minute and, and a half it's over. long. It's the weirdest. One year later, I'm like, oh, there's more to this. And then they're just like, not really. Mm-hmm. No, it's going to show him no. being creepy to another lady that might be a prostitute, yeah. which who happened to just be hanging out with an unlit cigarette in the middle of the night yeah. on a bench? In 97, people had such That's trouble insane. lighting cigarettes. Yeah, it was really tough. There was like four lighters and mostly <laughs> rich people The ladies were them. so busy getting other people drinks that yes. they just couldn't, they couldn't get themselves. <laughs> I can't light the cigarettes. It's just like, I can't. Well, I, when it, I don't know, when it started rolling the credits, I was just like, what? Yeah, you were like, I have to watch it again because the ending happened and I was like, what? What? Yeah. Huh? Even the yeah. second time, you're like, what? Yeah. It's, well, in the transition, like- 
from from the interrogation scene where then he gets to polygraph the polygraph examiner mm-hmm. and then Favorite then all of, of a sudden uh, he's taking pills and then all of a sudden he's threatening to kill him unless he tells the truth. And at some weird point, he holds a gun to Chris Penn. Yeah. And of course, Chris Penn looks at him and does the movie thing where he says, do it. Yeah. Why do people do that in movies? Well, I don't I think believe if that, someone was holding a gun to my yeah. head, my first thought would ever be just do it. I think we're supposed to believe that he's so dumb and his heroes have turned out to be so terribly uh, flawed. He's ready to go. That he's just like, I don't, there's only one way out of this for yeah, me. Yeah. And that's retiring. Or you shoot me. Or so, you shoot me. Like my world has crashed. And so I know the paperwork well involved in retiring. So <laughs> you might as well just <laughs> do it. Just be your pain. Just shoot me. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. I'm glad you could explain that part because I was like, what is happening? And it all yeah. seamlessly. And then all of a sudden, he has an epileptic, epileptic seizure, stands on the furniture. Yeah. And then... And collapses. Mm, and so then, one of the, I don't usually reach out to directors. That's not the point of this uh, program. Um, but I wanted to because I felt like maybe there was some reshoots. Maybe there was something with yeah. the funding. Because even just the one year later part feels like somebody was like, we got to have a clear, we got to know what happened. It didn't feel like maybe it was originally Finished? set up this yeah. way and some of the pacing and stuff seemed seemed very strange because everyone's performances are amazing mm-hmm. um it's just so disjointed yeah and um it's and it can't be the editing because the editor is amazing yeah so i feel like maybe someone messed with the, i don't i don't know it's just an interesting yeah movie and the, and it's pro it's the only one where you're gonna see the felon or the con get to give a polygraph test <laughs> to the detective so far, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. there's hopes that they'll reboot this. Um, yeah. You know, Avengers is done, so all those actors have to do something. Something's got to happen. That's the same amount Maybe of people Tarantino. that were in Deceiver. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who we would cast as who, but like that mm-hmm. Hawkman or whatever his name is could be mm-hmm. um, Tim Roth, maybe. Yeah. Um, Chris Penn could be played by Chris Pratt. He's in that yeah, movie, right? He, he could put the Good weight work. back on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he'd, he'd love that, I bet. Yes. Um, I David think... Batista could be Renee Zellweger. Okay. In a twist. I, I mean, like we got to modernize yeah. it. I mean, we got to make it right. Michael Rooker can play Michael Rooker. <laughs> is he in the Avengers movies? Yondu? No, I don't think he is. But there's a lot of the raccoon, right? Maybe he is. There is a lot of the raccoon. That's what I heard. We could have the raccoon jump in. Um, the raccoon can be Mook. Mook, indeed. Uh. Okay, well, I mean, I don't have any other thoughts about Deceiver, but I have some final questions for you. Okay. Are there any common misconceptions about um, either polygraphs or being a polygraph examiner? Um, well, I think that there's just so little known about it. Mm. Like, it's just not a common um, occupation. I think uh, a lot of what people, a lot of people are like, oh, am I going to be strapped in the chair? A lot of people think of Meet the Fockers, so they think mm-hmm. it's going to be the the whole... Um, casserole know, conversation. The whole casserole. And a lot of people think it's involving casseroles, yeah. which is always a problem. They're always interrupting um, and being like, are we going to talk about casseroles? <laughs> Most of this is about me being kind of mischievous, but I'd prefer to talk about casseroles. Yeah, yeah. And then I think in general, just there's a lot of misinformation mm-hmm. online and things where people will come in and say, well, this is just, you know, this is just a test to see if my heart's going to beat faster mm-hmm. or if I'm nervous. And uh, Misinformation online. I've weird. never heard of this. <laughs> weird. Yeah. So, I mean, 
I wouldn't say there's anything. Oh, and you know, I guess one of the biggest misconceptions is that you could put a tack in your shoe. Yes. And that that would work. Because it wouldn't. But um, yeah, yeah. So those are kind of the, the main ones I've run into. imagine like, somebody has pressed too hard on the tack and then it just so bummed <laughs> the rest of the time they're there that they're just like, I've got a tack in my toe. This really hurts really, really bad. <laughs> I'm eventually going to bleed through these sandals. <laughs> yeah. Also well, and I have sandals. them take their shoes off. So that, oh. that kind of prevents. Including um, sandals? Um, yeah. Are Crocs considered shoes? Yeah, they are. Oh, jellies? I always have them. <laughs> jellies. <laughs> jellies are considered shoes as well. Okay. Please take off your jellies. I um, don't know. Sir, I would be super worried just about anybody coming in with uh, with jellies okay. in general. Fair enough. That um, was an 80s Aaron apparel, by the way. Jellies? Oh, I had some jellies. I had some jellies. Being a, a boy in a small town, wasn't allowed to have jellies, oh, but I was pretty jelly of the ladies that had them. Yeah. Um, they came in what, pink and blue, I oh, think? Oh, yeah. I had a clear um, pair as well. Did they hurt mm-hmm. your feet? Yes. It, it they, like they were <laughs> highly uncomfortable. <laughs> So so many abrasions. So, you know, yeah. sometimes I tried to wear socks with the jelly. Oh, right. But, uh, it doesn't work. Yeah. It's just, Those socks with like the scalloped edges at the top. Yeah. yeah. Well, and there was a phase there for a while where I would wear multiple socks at oh, once. You yeah, know, of course. Yeah, the, uh, the whole layer look. And a that long was when sock you, with you a pin your pants. Sock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got to have. Mm-hmm. The rest of my questions are all pom pom sock related. <laughs> um, what is a good day like for a polygraph examiner? Um, well, a good day. Another question. Are there multiple in a day? Yeah. Okay. Uh, A lot of times. So how, how it works for me is I primarily do, um, testing for people that have sexually offended. Mm -hmm. I do some domestic violence tests and, um, but at this, at this point, that's kind of my, my primary role. There are some people that do more of the like law enforcement or, um, attorney related, but, uh, I tend to do through parole and probation offices. So Mm -hmm. I'll go to the office and then I'll have maybe three or four in a day. Um, I don't like to do, uh, I, I like to do three, I think in general, but just because my brain feels pretty heavy when I'm yeah. finished. It's a lot of heavy, inf- talking about heavy information, but. Um, Welcome so, to my uh, new podcast, yeah. talking about heavy information. <laughs> Here's our new guest. <laughs> um, so uh, I would say th- a good day for me would be three um, and they all pass and it's totally clear and it looks good. And, you know, so it's, and they're it on would the be, path to getting better. Yes, everybody's happy. No one's been offended. Great. Things are looking good. Yeah. You know, um, that's, that would be a, a really, a really good day. No one has smelly feet. Sometimes that happens and that's. Well, good. I'm not looking forward to this question then. Oh Cause boy. what is a very bad day like for polygraph <laughs> definition? <laughs> Well, uh, there is a test that I do. It's called the full disclosure, which is just um, going over someone's entire sexual history um, to make sure that there's nothing else that's happened um, as far as offenses. And part of that is just going through everything to make sure that they can delineate between what was an offense and not an I mean, there's just a lot to it. Yeah. And those can, there's actually been, I've had a couple of days where I've had three full disclosures in a row. And those Oof. are, those are days where I'm, I'm pretty, like I, by the time I'm finished, I'm, I'm just kind of a little bit, uh. I'm a little bit toasty. And, and so a really bad day was, is when, and there's some adult testing I've done where it's just a lot. Yeah. I mean, a lot can happen to anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of healthy sexual experiences you can have throughout your life. But sometimes when you're testing somebody that's in their fifties sure. or something, and there's just a lot of things that are done. Just that, the cyclical like, thing of abuse. Yeah. And- yeah. And, that, and that's, and that's, that's a really a point because another part of the sexual history is things that have happened to you as well. So, yeah. 
Um, yeah, so th- that can be that can make a day go south real quick because yeah. it can be really, really. It's a hard lot to, to take hear. in. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, like um, you know, I I can take in the information and then I can get rid of it as soon as it's done. I don't have to keep it. I'm not a therapist. Right. I don't have to like do. You're not I, like okay for our next polygraph. Right. We'll try to get to this step. And yeah, I I am not responsible for healing. I'm not responsible nice. for getting them to a new place. And so in a way, I can take that information and I can let it go. And what is afterwards. so after you do say the polygraph and someone's doing a. Uh, full disclosure, mm-hmm. um, that information would then go to their therapist or how would that information be used to help this person hopefully move on there? Right. Process? So a lot of times it depends on like, so there's, they sign releases and, mm-hmm. and of who it can get released to, but a lot of times it goes to their treatment team. So that would be their parole officer okay. and then their therapist. Um, and then anybody outside of that. And then for, through them, you know, it can, it can potentially, you know, it could maybe potentially make it into court, like where they say, well, have you passed a polygraph? Do you have the polygraph report? You know, okay. so that could go there as well. But um, for the most part, that's, those are the mo- most common people it goes to is their parole probation officer and then mm-hmm. and then the, the therapist mm-hmm. so they would say they can work if they on pass it, it mm-hmm. then they that uh, report goes to the team and mm-hmm. then the team looks at it and they're like oh you're you know Right. Things are going well, yeah. you're getting better, and they could change what I, I don't know. Right. Well, and I think like with a full disclosure, they're just looking at like, okay, are there more victims out right. there? Are there people that you've heard that you haven't talked about? Are you deliberately hiding something? Because mm-hmm. then that can show them that, okay, there might be more work here. Or right. it also can look at different predilections that might be more dangerous. So, you know, it's not necessarily dangerous that someone looks at porn, but it could be dangerous if they're looking at porn that involves children or people acting like children. Right. Or, you know, so it can kind of give that heads up to the yeah. to the POs that like, oh, something unhealthy may be happening here and we can kind of get, so sometimes in tests that can kind of filter out and they can kind of sort of look at what, um, you know, and so it means that I ask a ton of awkward and really, really personal questions. So you probably have to use very clinical words for things because I'd imagine there's questions about, I mean, about the human body. Yeah. Where you wouldn't be like, so you're twigging berries. Well, yeah. Right? I don't ever say twig and berries. No, you're but right. I mean, you would, you would have right. to address yeah. things that would most people would yeah. blush. And this it's is a person true. you don't know. It's true. And I try to, um, because, and, and to be clear, a lot of these discussions are all before the actual polygraph test happens. So it's like you're discussing all sure. of the history and kind of doing the pretest work of like, how do you have everything out? And have mm-hmm. you discussed everything you need to? So in the actual polygraph, it's not a lot of questions and it's mostly, you know, specific to like, is there anyone else or as an adult, have you had, you know, sexual mm-hmm. contact with someone that's a minor? Just you know, to make sure like you that. have it clear before going into right. the polygraph. Right. So you ask, and it, it is some of it though I also have to kind of use the words that they that they use you know so depending on um some well and I don't get vulgar with it but like you know um no, you know, sometimes they'll say, well, I, you know, I did this or did that. And, and I'll, and I'll kind of, sometimes I'll say, oh, you mean you, you know, you used digital penetration or okay. something, you know, but, sure. but, um, yeah. And, 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 but I do like penis vagina. I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not yeah, going to yeah. go slang with a lot of that, but yeah, right. it's, it can be really bizarre. And sometimes I'll leave and I'll think, wow, this is my, this is my job. I just talked about masturbation yeah. for 15 minutes. <laughs> so you wouldn't say like you were riffing on your boner. <laughs> Okay. No, but I should start because that would say, be fabulous. You'd probably say, 
uh, digital manipulation. How many times a week do you really riff on the boner? Yeah. You know, like <laughs> no. a real solo. Um, no, just masturbation. Okay. Yep, just, just you know. But I mean, even that, mm-hmm. there's some people that go their whole life and they can't even say that. It's true. It's true. And, you know, sitting down with this perfect, I mean, I am a perfect stranger to a lot of these people. And it's like, oh, I understand. Like, I get it. Like, I would suck. Who wants to talk about that stuff with other people? So, but fortunately in therapy. Yeah. And and especially when you've done sex offender therapy, it's like, I think they get kind of used to having a lot of those terms out. Right. Saying that stuff. Well, and especially after like 11 years in a subject matter, you've kind of heard a lot of things so unfortunate as it sounds it makes it easier to probably I'm gonna guess sort of take in what they're saying and Mm -hmm. be able to like look past it rather than be like oh gosh I can't I've never looked at that vegetable the same ever since you know it's like you just kind of move on and it takes quite a bit to shock me at mm -hmm. this point and not saying that that's you know but I think after a while you just kind of and you I think a big thing too is it's just, it's a human being, you know, and it's, um, and I think, you know, there's definitely sometimes people that you're in a room with that you're like, wow, that's a lot of stuff. It's pretty horrifying. Mm -hmm. Um, but for the most part, I try to just, you know, um, I've, I've talked about this stuff for a long time. Mm -hmm. It's not that tough for me anymore. And also I can come, I can compartmentalize things pretty well, I think. Mm -hmm. And like you said, it's helpful that you don't have to live in that. I don't. And I don't have to, I'm not responsible for the end of what happens to them. I'm not their PO. I'm not their therapist. I have one job and you know, and it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to go over your information. I'm going to test you on this information. I'm going to write the report and give it to you. And then, so that helps me to stay kind of saying is that I'm not responsible for the, for the outcome of what happens to that person. What are your favorite things about being a polygraph examiner? Um, Hours? Yeah, I can make I can make my own hours, which is good. Yeah. I can, you know, I have my own. Um, I think I think a lot of this stuff is weirdly fascinating. Mm-hmm. Like I think um and I also think that the criminal system is fascinating. I think that um Are there polygraph examiners that only work in other subject matters? Like is there a bank robber polygraph examiner? Because <laughs> like I didn't say it. I think that, a, uh, you know, there's some people that I've met that are like, yeah, I'm not real interested in testing juveniles. Or there's mm-hmm. some people that are like, I don't really want to test adults. There's some people that do a lot of work in jails and prisons. Um, and there's some people that do attorney, a lot of just attorney. Mm-hmm. So I think you can kind of gear. Um, I, you know, there's people out there that won't do sex offender sure. polygraphs. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely you can kind of pick which which vein you yeah. want to go down. Mm-hmm. Because you did pick... One kind of in line with I, what you're previously doing. I did. Doing. I did. What yeah. I'm familiar with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, people that are out there that may possibly want to be a polygraph examiner, mm-hmm. is there any advice you would have for people? Um, I would say really just kind of looking up and trying to see. Um, there's a, a lot to it that I think... Um, I think it can be tricky at first if you're not if you're not ready for mm-hmm. um the content or if you're um yeah it's 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 it can be uh, as well I guess I'm just going from the angle of like if you're going to do um, tests do. for yeah. people that have offended um 
But yeah, I would just say do research and see if it sounds like talk to people that do it. Would you recommend that someone do social work prior to? No, that? a lot of, well, I mean, a lot of people don't. Like a lot of people have um, more of a criminal justice background. Mm. Um, some people don't have, you know, any background in, in either. I think, um, yeah, so just kind of looking at, it just kind of depends on, I think first certain programs you have to have certain like schooling requirements and stuff. Okay. But um, definitely, uh I, I don't know that a lot of people do have the same kind of background as I do. I think there's, uh, it just kind of comes to a clinical kind of way. Some, well, I think a, a lot of the people I've met have had um, more of the sort of police background or mm-hmm. detective background or, um, but that's not everyone. I mean, you know, everybody's got kind of a different background, but yeah. So just talking to people that do it and, and see if it sounds like something you'd want to do. And before we get to my last question. Mm-hmm. There was something that you told me once about somebody that had worked in polygraph or maybe created polygraph and something with plants. Yeah. So I went to the Baxter School of Lie Detection is okay. where I went to Next school. Next to Hogwarts. <laughs> Doesn't it sound fabulous? Yeah, it totally, really does. Um, but the, one of the people that was like the director of the Baxter School, and he has since passed away, but he, um, he started to do, um, he would use kind of electrodes, the same electrodes that we look for, the like electrodermal response on mm. finger on fingertips. He attached those to, to plants and to different, different life um, forms because, and he wrote a book on it and I, I would really love to read. There's just not that many published. Oh. Um, so it's pretty expensive to buy, but, um, he has a theory that like, and he did all the scientific stuff with it that started with him polygraphing plants, but it was, um, he had this, uh, theory that, that our cells are all kind of connected and, and even like ours. So yeah. us being friends, if we were to take some of your white cells and put them, you no know, need to bring race into, into it, but, electrodes, yeah. <laughs> just your white blood. Cells. Yeah. Oh, okay. Got it. And, uh, if you were to put them into like, uh, you know, Petri dish and mm-hmm. attach them to electrodes that if, like you, if I was to even get hurt, so maybe not even you, if I was to get hurt in the other room, that, that those cells might react or, or wow. even if your cells are in there, you know, in one room and you're in another room and you are hurt, then they would have, so he was, he found these correlations. So he, um, his, his, one of his theories is just this connect, interconnectivity through like mm. our cells and other humans, but wow. it started with him. Um, pretty much using it. Yeah. Yeah. The polygraph, same electrode stuff on plants. Wow. He did an egg too. I think he did. Yeah. So he used on, on a lot of different items and back to, and then he went kind of one bacteria and chickens and cats. And I don't know, there was all kinds of things. I don't think he put electrodes on cats. I take that back, but, but, uh, there was a cat eating chicken and then he had the back, he had bacteria. I don't know. So there's a Wait. whole bunch of stuff. Okay. Got it. For some so reason, the back, I read he had that bacteria as... on a chicken on chicken or something, and then yeah, this is we should probably erase this part. But <laughs> <laughs> he had bacteria on chicken, and then bacteria in a petri dish or something. Uh-huh. Anyway, so it was something that was sort of connected. And then he had the cat eat the chicken, and so it was kind of like yeah, to see how the cells would react. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. I feel like I that would be. Not, I'm not going to say a better movie than Deceiver, but that would right? be a great movie to see just because if you go by just the underlying message of like, you know, we're all made up of 
cells and mm-hmm. connectivity and things. You could yeah. kind of have a really cool right? through line. And it would be interesting to see someone just hooking up electrodes to potatoes and things. And yeah. And it sort of sounds like the start of a horror movie where it's like if you maybe, maybe you're sick and you need to have someone's white blood cells, right. platelets or something. Uh-huh. And then, oh, it was the purse. It was a murder. How many times has that been done though? Um, a, lot. a lot. There's a movie called Body Parts where Jeff Fahey gets a murderer's arm. Yeah. So pretty, maybe there's more to it. Yeah. It could be. Yeah. All right. Well, that brings us to my last question. <laughs> okay. It's my favorite question. Okay. Aaron. Yes. What are your dreams like? Oh, my gosh. I had a really, really bad nightmare this morning. But most of my dreams are pretty, pretty good. I've, like, I remember them. Yeah. And they're, like, epic. It's like, where I'll common. wake up and I'll be like, what? This, I, you know... Like, I'll go to lots of different places, and I'll see... And, like, celebrities sometimes show up in my dreams. Oh, look at that. Yeah, I know. And it's like my husband, he'll wake up, and he'll be like, I had a dream that I was being tortured to death, and I'll be like, oh, yeah, I had a dream I was hanging out with Matthew McConaughey, and we were drinking Coca-Cola, and yeah. Yeah. And then I went skateboarding. I don't know. But... um, (laughs) And then we watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre, (laughs) The Next Generation. I was like, I didn't know you were in this. And he was he's like, and, and Renee said, too. Be a lot cooler if I was, or something like that. <laughs> no, he wasn't. So, <laughs> um, so I would say. So it's not work related. It's not you asking someone and then being like, "Here's all the terrible things that are happening in the world today." Hasn't that funny? You'd think I'd have more terrible. I was dreams wrong. Most like people that. don't have these work related dreams. I yeah. thought. Yeah, you know, when I worked full time at the group home, I had pretty bad. And I had group home dreams, but they were like more anxiety, like where I'd left a kid at the Safeway or, yeah, yeah. And, um, or I'm, or, oh, I had this reoccurring dream when I used to work in the, in the group home where, um, I was at a party and that I took the kids with me and they were drunk and like, Mm. and you know, like all of these anxiety Mm -hmm. things where I can't find them in the party. And then I'm thinking I'm going to have to tell their parents that I got that, you know, so those, those happened a, a lot or just really like I'd have pretty bad nightmares there, but now I don't, I don't feel. I think I have more kind of anxiety dreams mm-hmm. now than I than I do um, actual content of, which is good because I hear some wacky stuff yeah. that I don't really want a part of my dreams. Right. I'd really rather have Matthew McConaughey yeah. watching James <laughs> sure. Massacre with me, me. too. Yes. Um, yeah, I think that's interesting. At my old job, where there was a lot of like just biting and pinching and scratching and. You know, yeah. I'd keep like spitting journals and have days where someone spit on me, like in yeah. my face over 600 times. Right. But I would have dreams where it was none of, none of that, mm-hmm. but it was that I got up and I brushed my teeth and I combed my hair and I was all ready. <laughs> and then I'd wake up and be like, I got to do it again. <laughs> That's what my brain did. I don't know. It would just like start my day and do chores yeah. for me and be like, yeah. okay, you're ready to go to work. Psych. Guess what? You didn't do any of yeah, those things. Yeah, none of it. Enjoy brushing your teeth, loser. <laughs> I'm like, ow. Oh. Brain. Which is so interesting because I remember that time of your life where kids were biting you yeah. and we would see the bruises. I can't imagine, I could imagine you'd have some wackadoo dreams, but you never did. Never did. Mm. Yeah. It was mostly just stuff I didn't remember, stuff that mm-hmm. wasn't work-related. Work related. Well, I did work with 
a nonverbal population. And so every once in a while it would be that one of the kids was talking to me. <gasps> oh, I bet those were good ones. It was really good. But then it would make me sad when I woke up. Yeah. Because I was like, I really, not because I wanted them to speak or to have mm-hmm. a different ability, but because I liked what they were saying to me. Yeah. You know? And yeah. it was fun to like have them be like, no, no, no. This is what I was thinking the whole time. Or these thoughts of like, if they could speak, this is what they would be saying. And yeah. it's great. Yeah. Well, and I would record voice output devices for them. So a lot mm-hmm. of times it would be my voice anyway. Oh, but it yeah. would but to hear what their real voice was was also really exciting because mm-hmm. it wasn't my voice because they were so used to using mine, you know. It was like I want granola bar. You know, I hear that in my sleep. Oh. But anyway, Aaron, thank you for doing this. Yeah, thanks thank for you. having me. Thank you for watching Deceiver from 1997. Wow, twice. twice. I watched twice. this twice for you. Thank you. That's like 4 hours of your life that you've yeah. donated to um to, to this film. So, yeah. so thank you. You're welcome. Thanks yeah. for having me. Of course. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, tune in next time where I'll talk to a different person with a different profession about a different movie. Links to our guest and topics of the conversation are up on the website vh-us.com. Please share episode with anyone who you think would be interested. Rate, review, and what have you on your preferred platforms. If you would like to follow along visually, our Instagram is vh.us. If you're going to be in Portland, Oregon, or you live in Portland, Oregon, and you would like to be a guest, then please put guest and your profession in the heading of the email. If you'd like to recommend a movie, then please put movie and the title in the heading. Thank you for listening. I'd also like to thank my engineer, JL, and my producer, Wade Allen, and of course, my amazing wife, Sarah Marshall. Until next time, I'm Dirk Marshall, and this has been VHS.